Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I've got my good friend Mike Hancock out of Snowflake, Arizona, often referred to as Mikey. Uh, Mikey, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Jay. Uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. I've had your compadre, uh, your sidekick, Daniel Franco. You guys obviously own Burnt Timber Outfitters together. Uh, you're based out of kind of Snowflake, Arizona. He's based out of Heber and you guys for many, many years have hunted together and guided together and make a, make a good team up there at Burnt Timber Outfitters. Um, I want to talk today about 3C mule deer, uh, 3C elk, and then talk about Unit 1 elk. All three of those topics um, you're very familiar with, you know, having grown up in that country. I uh, like getting local perspective on you know, how things are going and like hearing about those hunts up there. So um, first question I'd ask you, um, let's, let's start with archery elk season. Uh, I believe you were in Unit 1. How was Unit 1 archery elk this year? Well, well Jay, um, to correct you, I did not have an arch, archery elk hunter in Unit 1. I've hunted archery elk the last four years in Unit 1. But this okay. year I was, okay. over, I was over in Unit 3 this year during the archery okay. elk season. Um, so I, I didn't hunt archery unit one this year. Well, let's, let's, um, I want to ask you about your last four years in unit one as far as after the, obviously after the fire, and then we'll get to 3C, but um, you've been able to find some good bulls there in unit one, and I'm just curious from your perspective, having, you know, born and raised up there, you know, hunted unit one prior to the burn, and then obviously hunting and guiding in the burn, you know, after the burn uh, in Unit 1. Um, describe the unit before and describe it after and maybe how the elk move around and how the hunts are different or the same. Well, for, first and foremost, you know, just the visibility side of that burn and Unit 1, it, it just opened it up extremely. The um, Ten or so years ago hunting over there prior to the burn, you know, you, you did a lot of the Senecas. You know, the elk spent a lot of time in those open Senecas up on top and, and in the bottoms of those canyons, and they were they were relatively hard to uh, to see and find. But uh, with this burn, it, it's almost opened it up. It's really opened it up this year. The last two years, a lot of those trees are starting to fall, and it's even just, it's, it's wide open over there now, and it's, it was uh, quite different. The last two years, you know, it was even two years ago prior to the fire. You know, Mike, when 3C burned, it, it burned a fairly mosaic pattern. What type of, you know, burn did that wallow fire have over there in Unit 1? Did it burn it more widespread, or did it also burn it in it, mosaic pattern? Where it, I guess what I'm talking about is where there's it left big stands of timber, but then it burned over the top of it. You know, talk a little bit about that. It it did not. Your 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 thinking is exactly what uh is different between the Rodeo Chittisky fire and the Wallow fire. We did have a lot of mosaics in um, in Unit Three C. You've seen that. You know, it would burn two hundred yards and then four, five, six hundred yards of green. Now Unit One, I don't know if it's just the different terrain. There's there's you know a little higher elevation and there's more fur over there. Um, but it it burned just vast three or four ridges, you know, all the way across in just giant, 
giant barns, you know. Take for take for instance Escadilla. There's not hardly a green tree on Escadilla. Um, it it burned that whole um, north face, the whole west face, and quite a bit of the east face. So yes, uh, a lot less mosaics um, in Unit One than there is in in Unit Three A Three C. What have you and noticed? That's to, up that's there. to our advantage. Yeah, to to be able to see. What have you noticed as far as um, obviously, you can see more animals now because it was so thick, and like you're talking about these cienegas, these open parks, and I think what you're describing is like, you know, real timbered areas, but then just kind of open grass meadows that they call cienegas, um, and, and they're out there at night, and, and they would be rutting, and at first light, they head into the timber, and then you never see them, but now with it being open and having the ability to glass, in essence, those elk uh, and deer, for that matter, uh, they don't have, I mean, it's a lot easier to take inventory of what's there. You are, you are correct, Jay. Um, you know, it's, it's fairly easy to even find those cows and, and find those bulls, especially in the fall and the wintertime, just bedded right out in that wide open stuff. Years ago, they'd still go to the north faces and uh, get in that thick stuff and not come out until, until dark, but... It's nothing to find, you know, big groups of cows and, you know, even the bulls for that, that matter, just uh, bedded right out in the right out in the open. Obviously, being able to see the elk, there's an appearance that there's more elk than ever. Do you believe that the elk numbers, you know, have gone up or gone down, or are they relatively the same? Well, you know, remember in the uh, the unit three A three C, our big boom was years five through eight. And nine, and we're we're almost right in the middle of that, you know, or maybe maybe halfway halfway through that. So uh, there is there's a lot of cows. Um, I had an archery tag over there two years ago, and the bull I was chasing would have anywhere from 40 to the first time me and Daniel Daniel saw him you know, once the season started. He had I quit counting at 80 something cows, and um, you know certain times of or that year there just wasn't the bulls over there in that area, so he didn't have a lot of competition. There was two smaller bulls satelliting them, but uh, just uh, a lot of cows. And you are right, they are a lot more visible, but I think the, the numbers of cows are, are up in, in Unit 1 for that, for that yeah. matter. Um, as far as, you know, you're saying, I, I, if I heard what you're saying right, it's like the peak years after the Rodeo Chetiskai fire, which was in... Unit 3C, you're saying like years 5 through 8 were banner over there. Yes. But they also did some tag manipulation as well. I believe the tag numbers were fairly low, and then what kind of shut that off, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what kind of shut that off over in 3C, and not that 3C is not a great unit, but there were some banner years there after the burn, and then I believe they jumped the numbers up and, and I'm just going off recollection. I don't even actually have the numbers in front of me or anything. Um, I'm curious about your response on that, but I'm also curious if your response is yes, that they jumped some numbers up. I mean, do you feel like 3C, if they would have just kept the numbers down, that the, you know, it, they would still be kicking out some of those, you know, more of those giant bulls like they were in that spurt? Or do you think it was just a freshness of, of feed coming back that, you know, all the elk from the res or a bunch of them came there. Um, you know, I'm just curious how you, your thoughts of that whole process are. 
I think I think you're both in. Um, you're correct in recollection of the tags. I remember the first year after the fire, we had 50 late tags in that unit, and then they just increased it 50 tags at a time and kind of overshot a little bit, but got it back under control. You know, down around 250 or 275 where it is now, and that's unit three. They did it a little different unit one, and they didn't start out with low numbers. You know, we've kind of bounced all over in unit one as far as bull tags have gone, and I think it's kind of hurt it. You know, if, if we get to talking, I did have an early um, rifle client in unit one. We had two hunters over there, and um, again, a lot of cows. We saw a lot of cows, and um, the bull quality didn't quite seem as good as it was. The rut was phenomenal. They would bugle all day like I could remember them you know, doing six, seven years ago, but uh, yes, they've uh, they did they did manage unit three a little different than they did with unit one, and I think that unit three benefited there. We did we did really well there year five, six, seven, and eight in unit three, um, and unit one's just it's definitely been managed a little bit different. Do you think, I mean, in your heart, do you believe that truly if they would limit a bunch of those late elk tags, I feel like, this is just my opinion, I feel like because now you can see and because you can glass and because the late elk tag numbers are high, the success rate, and I'm just talking out my butt because I need to look at the numbers, but I would argue that the success probably has been much higher since the burn. They're killing more bulls in the late hunt, which a lot of those bulls are probably older bulls. And so in essence, year after year, the quality is deteriorating a little bit and eroding away little by little. You are exactly correct. Um, I, I think that late hunt in Unit 1 last year was up in the 65 70% success. You know, and, and the tag numbers are up there at 350. They've been as high as 400, if my memory serves me correct, in the past five years. But yes. Um, you know, we hunted an area this year on the late hunt in Unit 1 where last year there was one pickup there with us and we were walking in, oh, three miles into a wilderness. And um, this year we averaged five to six, seven cars out there every day. You know, the people are going deeper a little bit more. The terrain's more open. Um, the bulls were, there's always bulls in there. And, um, yes, they are. I think Unit 1 and Unit 27, and that's definitely been a hot topic and a discussion point up here with us that, you know, we can't keep doing that year after year and expect the quality of the bulls to, to stick around. So, I think the hard part, I think, that, you know, the hard part for the Arizona Game and Fish Department, which I would like to say, you know, for the most part does a really good job of managing our state when you compare it to other states and you can just look at the quality. Um, but I think the challenge for them is to manage the opportunity with, you know, the quality. The hard part for guys like us that have been, you know, so involved in, in, in as far as hunting and, and seeing how those, those areas progress and how good they can be, it's hard for us when we've seen them really, really, really good quality and, you know, just unbelievable bulls and then see that quality just, you know, slowly erode away. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying I have all the answers at all, but it, it does seem like uh, it sure would be nice if we could have a little bit more focus on older age class animals and, and keep, you know, 
the trophy quality as high as possible, the trade-off of that is, you know, people don't get drawn for as many tags. Yeah. Yeah, you are correct. Yep. The other frustrating part of that is I ran into quite a few people this year that were, you know, just frustrated with the total numbers, numbers of people that you're you're competing against. You're you're setting up on a bull and get him in your scope, and he and he falls over, and you hear the shot. Um, yeah. You know that with that that's been coming on here the last two or three or four years. You know when they're putting 400 tags in um, in these units, like one in 27 that now are opened up. And so visual, those bulls are just just pounding it, and um, you know it's, it's costing us. It's costing us quality for sure. I know you're a turkey nut like me, um, and and you love you love turkeys. You love turkey hunting, and you've been up there, you know, pre-burn. You've been up there since you were a little kid. You know, you've been up there 40, 40 plus some years, um, bouncing around. Uh, how is the the quality of turkeys in unit one and you know did the fire do the turkeys a lot of good um did they stay the same or what are you noticing up there yes um the numbers improved you know um, the junior hunts are just phenomenal and that first early hunt you can still do some pretty good on but um you know by the second third hunt they're seeing quite a bit of pressure and uh you know you're it gets definitely gets a little bit tougher, but Unit One has some great pockets of turkey. You know, on the northern on the southern end of that unit, the turkey numbers are pretty good, and then you can do some scouting and you know find the other pockets that are that are working those burns. But um, Unit One's pretty solid. Unit Twenty Seven's doing really well with turkey. I spend a little time over there hunting horns or you know running around it, and and it's got quite a few turkey in it too. So you know, turkeys always benefit from those fires. And, yeah, uh, for sure. You know, I've got to think too with the burn. You know, I've got to think not only it, it, does it help numbers, but I've got to think. Um, you know, as far as hunting them, uh, you know, they tend to want to roost a little bit more in the the green trees, not as much in the burnt trees, and it, it I'm sure probably um, limits those areas where they actually roost. And kind of as a hunter, you can kind of pinpoint. You know some of those more that green timber ridges and stuff, and probably it's helped in hunter success being able to you know move in and get on on those turkeys you know either on or off the roost. You are correct. Yeah, there you know there it's nothing to find three or four gobblers roosted in a big dead snag. We didn't really see that in three C because I think they had those so many mosaics. But I see it quite often in unit one where you know them, them groups of turkeys will actually roost in just a group of dead dead burnt big tall timber um probably just because that's all they have they just don't have any other option right yeah you're exactly right um it it definitely didn't go gangbuster like unit 3a3c did you know after the fire but uh it's still pretty solid don't you think that was from don't you think that 3c you know you know I was hunting there with you and Daniel for years right after the fire, and, but don't you think a lot of that was just because of the low, low tag numbers? So they, the, the, the birds also exploded, but they also had very low tags for a couple of those years. Yeah, yeah, they did. But, uh, you know, when, when they used 3C as a transplant unit for five or six years, you know, that was definitely evidence that just numbers in general were really booming. Um, yeah. Since then, we've had, had a, 
major die-off in three Cs, you know, it's as tough as any unit to try to kill a bird out of now. So it's, it has not turned around and come back in the past three or four years. But uh, we're hoping it does soon. You, you talk a little bit about the early rifle hunt um, in Unit 1, Mish. I believe it was, was it muzzleloader or early rifle? It, it was early rifle. Early rifle. So I believe there's 40 tags on that hunt, and you guys have had great success uh, finding good bulls. And um, curious about the timing this year, how the, how the bugling was during the actual early rifle hunt. Was it really, really good? Oh, Yes. Um, I spent half the hunt over here in 3C during the archery season, and then I left and went over a week early, early to Unit 1. And if you remember, we fought quite a bit of wind during the uh, archery hunt. But by the time I got to Unit 1, things were calming down, and, and it was as good as a year in Unit 1 as I've seen in a while, or at least the areas that I was in. Um, you know, there's my two or three ridges this year were loaded with 25 to 30 bulls. I could go see and check 25 or 30 bulls in a morning, and that's, that's as good as good as we can get around here. You know, if you have a good morning of looking at six or seven or ten bulls, you've done good, but um, I had two or three spots where just the elk were just just in there in droves and just bugled. They'd bugle till 11 or 12, shut down for about an hour, and turn around and start back up. A lot of broken bulls, you know, when you get an area like that um, with 20, 25 bulls, there was quite a few... You know, it looked a little bit normal like it was 10 or 15 years ago where uh, you're having to sift through broken bulls. But pretty solid year as far as, as, far as uh, the rut went that I saw the latter half, you know, the, the third week of September into that first week of October. Talk about why it's important. You bring up a great point. Talk about why it's important that if you – if you've got an elk hunt, why it is important to have areas that you can sift through handfuls of bulls. Obviously, you're looking for older age class, you know, bigger, mature bulls. Why is it important to have those areas where you have congregations of bulls? Oh, you know, we, we call it beehives. Um, I'm sure you've seen them in 3C. You know, we see them in one where, where it's just a meeting place for those bulls to go. And every day for, you know, granted I'd go scout other, other areas also, but, you know, going back to that ridge every two or three days, I'd see another four or five new bulls. Just wherever you have those big congregations of bugling all day and, you know, bugling a better chunk of the night, um, it's, just a, it's just a magnet. It's just a place that will pull those, pull those bulls into. And it, it's, it's no different. You know, I'd see one or two new mature bulls that come through there every day. Now, in your opinion, is that areas where um, have you seen consistent, um, let's see, ha have you seen those types of areas be consistent from year to year? In other words, as much time have you spent in three in unit one, is it important to kind of track it? Okay, this has been a, this is, they're always beehiving right in here and make mental note of it for the next year and the year after. And how common is it that there's similar areas that, okay, yeah, they're always beehiving in here, or is it sporadic where one year it could be totally different? I, I'm a firm believer that, uh, hopefully I can portray this, portray this right, but I'm a firm believer that we hunt the cows, and it depends on what bulls are there with the cows. The cows 
in Unit 1 and in Unit 3C, quite often year after year will do the same thing. They'll travel the same routes, going back to their bedding. You know, they'll travel to this tank if it has water in it, and they'll work to, to the west to a different tank if there's another one over there. But, you know, the cows that, that I chase in Unit 1, you know, I could almost name them. I see the same three collared cows every year on the same two ridges, and it's just what year or what bulls show up that year with those cows. So, you know, they, in my mind, they do the same thing year after year for the most part, you know, unless something's disturbed that travel pattern or something. But they, you know, obviously like to travel the little mosaics of trees that they have or, or the bottom that has the water in it or anything like that. So, you know, yes, the cows do, you know, drive a big pattern of the way I like to hunt them. That's good stuff. And you talk about seeing the same cows year after year. Um, Mike, a lot of our cows in Arizona, like, give me your idea of, of an age range that, you know, cows can get up to X amount of years and, you know, that we've got a lot of cows in the, you know, just give me a number of the, you know, six to ten or whatever the, give me your idea of like what can our cows, you know, still be producing and, and be good, um, good producing cows up to what age? I think the number blows people away. I think they have no idea that cows, well, I'll let you answer. Oh, well, this is surely a guess. A guess on my part. I don't claim to be any type of biologist by any means, but, I, you know, I would guess some of those cows are 10 or 12 years plus. Um, yeah. You know, as long as they're not ever injured or anything like that, you know, they'll continually produce one or two calves a year. Um, you know, lots of times I'll look at a group of cows and there'll be nine cows in them and 11 calves, or sometimes you look and there's six, six cows and only three calves. Um, you know, but I, I, I've just, we've shot a few cows with, with uh, cow hunters and you, you open their mouth and they hardly don't have a tooth left in their head. You know, they're just... You can just tell they're really, really, really old. I, th I think, you know, for the most part, there's a lot of them are going to live longer than your bulls do. They don't have yeah. to go through, live through that rut and live through the injuries that come with the rut and, and then, you know, dodging all the hunters and all kinds of things like that. So, plus they live in, in large herds. You know, they got a lot more eyes to help protect them than bulls get off, you know, with one or two in a bachelor group. Or, And I definitely think they have to... Um, you know, it's a little bit tougher survival rate, but, you know, I'd guess cows 10, 12, you know, who knows, they might even be getting up there 14 or 15 years old. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. I think some people don't even realize that, you know, a lot of our cows and, you know, they can be 10 plus years old, no problem, uh, and, st and still bearing calves, uh, which is pretty neat. Uh, what have you noticed up there, Mike, as far as conditions? Uh, very, very dry, obviously, but, um, you know, can you remember a year going into December 15th time frame? Obviously, we've got the, 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 the uh, applications coming up in kind of mid, early to mid-February. What does Unit 1 and 3C right now look like? Well, you, we just finished up late hunts, and I spent the first weekend in Unit 1, and, um, the whole rest of the week in Unit 3. Unit 3, uh, just extremely dry. A lot of the tanks, you know, up high still still are holding a little bit of water. Um, and I would say about half of them or so, and that's just a, 
an uneducated guess. Some of the lower tanks that saw some monsoons this summer, you know, there that transition area um, between the highways, you know, there's a fair amount of those tanks that still have some water. I don't know if it's going to carry us through the spring, which worries me a little. You know, you get them windy spring, spring and winter days, and boy, they you can just almost watch the levels on those tanks drop. Um, so three C's not anywhere near as um, good as condition as I was, was hoping it was going to be in. Feed, there's the feed doesn't look all that good right now. Um, you know, it dried out in September, and it hasn't seen anything now for for three or four months, and and you know, you can even look at it, and I've never seen a fall that looked like this. You know, lots of times we're still getting getting rains well into to October, and, you know, maybe a storm right before late elk season or even during late elk season, and it's just been a dust bowl up here. Um, but with that, it concentrated a lot of bulls on the late hunt, and, you know, we still still had a fairly decent, decent hunt. Um, but, yeah, conditions are... Are not strong right now. Not real positive for unit uh, for unit three C. Unit one, I don't worry as much about. There's a lot of live water over there. Um, and a lot of those places we walk into, you still see those little springs and stuff coming out of the ground and running. Just that higher elevation, and just just unit one's a lot different unit than unit three. It's got you know a couple of couple of thousand feet elevation difference in that that higher country, and and a lot more live water. So, uh, and again, the feed doesn't look all that well over in Unit 1, but, you know, the water will be there, you know, that's at least halfway important for them. Yeah, and with the, with the fire over there, there's quite a bit more browse now than, than there used to be. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, we're starting to see some of that, that uh, no, it's ankle, maybe just above your ankles now. We just call it a brown bush over here. I don't even have the correct name for it you know over here in 3c it's about knee high over here in unit 3c and those bulls love it those mule deer really like it too they spend a lot of time in it but i'm starting to see that stuff in unit one in some areas not in all of it you get up too high and you don't you don't see it um but yeah that browse is coming back in unit one like it like it did in 3c let's talk a little bit about that um you know unit one historically is well, I shouldn't say historically because that's not true. Unit 1, there used to be big, big mule deer bucks up in Unit 1. You don't hear much about them now. We'll talk about 3C in a minute, but what are you noticing with the deer in Unit 1? Um, we killed a couple of decent bucks, you know, 170-type bucks last year out of Unit 1. Um, I didn't see the mule deer I would have liked to have seen this year. You know, I still spent probably 30 days in Unit 1, and and I saw some, some decent bucks, but I know they got hit pretty hard. I talked to some guys that hunted, and, and I think they uh, kind of mucked them out pretty good in a couple of those areas. Um, but they're real pockety over there in, in Unit 1, it seems like. Um, pretty, you know, great, great country, great habitat. Um, the does seem to be coming back. I did see, you know, a fair amount of good groups of does this winter over there but it's just not it's not a not a great banner unit to to start applying for in unit one in my opinion yet you know if, if you know the locals and stuff if you can 
if you can have some bucks scouted out and they're you know tend to be in the same area and you can grow a buck or two up um, you know I think you can have some success over there um, again it's a great glassable unit uh, but the quality just hasn't quite quite come back like I was hoping it would after the fire I was telling people three or four years ago that I thought unit you know one was going to be the next unit three um, I think they have too many tags in unit one for the mule deer hunt and uh, um, that's definitely going to then keep those mature buck ages down for sure. Yeah. Now compare that with over in 3C. Obviously, the game and fish is, actually has man management objectives for better mule deer over in 3C. It's a unit that they have picked to try and, you know, and correct me anywhere if I'm not not on point, but. Um, from what I understand, they, they're trying to make the deer in 3C kind of that be the spotlight unit there for you know all of that rim country area. Um, and you guys over the years have had some uh, great success, uh, you know, in that unit. What is the status of the unit now? You know, kind of go over and talk about your hunts. You, you had great success this year. Um, you know, was that is that a function of a of a trend of it going? I don't want to ask you too many questions, but just kind of give me the general sense. Is that a trend that's moving in that direction of some of those you know big giant bucks you guys shot, or is it kind of a case by case and just you know particular bucks that you guys knew about? No, but we we did know. I know you've had Daniel on a month or so ago, and he talked a little bit about the uh, the big five by five that we finally got killed. It took three years. Um, my grandson, I'll brag on him for just a minute, um, killed a phenomenal buck. He's 11 years old. Um, we had not seen that buck before. We hunted a buck in there a couple of years prior, three or four years prior, that I'm pretty sure has some relationship to the buck that my grandson Deegan killed. Um, just a really wide, one of the wider bucks we've hunted in 3C, and, and we managed to get to get um, what I what I'm just assuming to be probably you know one of his sons um he killed a 206 inch oh he's a four by four with three kickers you know kind of flyers coming out which we don't see a lot of those on the uh 3a3c units we're all totaling you know probably three inches a piece and just a phenomenal buck for an 11 year old kid the kid's got nerves of steel he'll he'll sit down and tell you to just leave him alone and he'll He'll uh, mow anything over at 400 yards. I've seen him make three shots at over 400 yards, and he's just he's just got ice in his veins. That kid does. Um, That's great. But but uh, you know, as far as the unit goes, you know, it, it is in the alternative deer management for Region One, um, which is a big plus. We hold the numbers down there at 125 tags, which you can see it's three or four percent chance of drawing. It's one of the you know, top five hardest units in the state to draw for mule deer. Um, you know, the numbers I would still hold if, you know, a client called, I'd say, you know, we're still looking, we're not going to walk away from a 180, 185 type buck because the 200 inchers just aren't around every every tree here in 3A, 3C. But, you know, it's it's still just steadily increasing. Um, they, they kept the archery tags down the last couple of years, which I think has helped. Um, three C's I think will continue to hold and be a pretty strong it, it's a great 
great opportunity to someone, a non-resident, that's not going to draw a strip tag. Um, you know, they don't have a lot of deer choices unless they want to go hunt a hunt a coos deer in Arizona. But to still kill a, a fairly solid solid mule deer on three C is probably a pretty good choice to to entertain that idea to do so. Mike, in your opinion, it, you know, if 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 you had your choice and they said, hey, we want to kick these bucks, you know, more of them up over 200, what is the single biggest thing that you would do, and obviously not say just drop tags, but would you, how, which hunt would you tell them drop the tags in this hunt, whether it be the archery or, or the rifle, and, and, you know, in three years you'll have handfuls of bucks over 200? Well, let, let me spin a little bit different twist on this um when, when we first started talking about you know talk to, i talked to quite a few game and fish officers and and um i was told that we were going to do some more burns on top of that burn to help keep the habitat open um you know me and daniel talk about where some certain animals are in 3c and they have gone back and done a couple of small cleanups and burns and man, the, the the deer and the elk go back to those spots, and and I think that would single-handedly just improving a little bit more of the habitat would definitely help us help us see a few more bucks um, in 3C that could you know get that one or two more years on them. I think that habitat would help. I I <laughs> I'm tending to see a lot of deer along the top of the rim which historically they've always wintered up there. I don't know if a lot of people know, but they winter right on top of the 300 road up there in 3A3C. A lot of the bucks come from the reservation and go up there. So you can get a decent inventory, you know, driving down through there, varmint calling or, you know, scouting or whatever we're doing, and you can see some pretty good bucks in December and January right up along that rim. And I think that reservation's holding some of those, those bucks over there. They have done a lot more cleanup over there than they have on our side after the fire. You know, they've gone back just this, there, I, this fall was an unprecedented amount of uh, um, control fires up there on the Fort Apache that I saw. It went on for six weeks um, up there. So they're doing a lot of cleanup up there, and I, I'm afraid they're going to start sucking a few of our deer from 3C over there because we're getting choked out pretty heavy by the juniper right now. So I, I'd really like to see them push to to help clean up the habitat a little bit more up here. Numbers, you know, 125 and 50 on the archery and 125 on the rifle, you know, I don't think we're we're hurting it too too horribly bad. They might drop it just a little on the rifle hunt. It was a big success this year. I bet they killed 75%. Um, talked to a lot of successful hunters. We were five for five, so we killed five, five mule deer during that hunt. And, um, most people that I know have tag filled it this year. So, so you say work on habitat more, maybe a little bit of tag reduction. But even if they left the tags where they're at and did a little bit more habitat work, you think it would it would just keep flourishing? Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that we're going to start losing a few that are going to, you know, get back up on top and go off on the reservation and pretty much take up residency down there. Yeah. The timing of the rifle hunt in 3C is, you know, late October, 
uh, and you know you're not getting any rutting activity, so to speak, from a management standpoint, and trying to get you know older age class bucks. Granted, the hunt would be better if it was during the rut, but they would also whack the bucks. Um, do you feel like the hunting season is always a, a pretty predictable time and, and good time to be hunting those mule deer, or is it uh, kind of iffy and you know you wish the dates would slide one way or another? No, I, I don't really have an opinion either way on there. Um, you know, we don't see a lot of rut activity until around Christmas time up here in, in 3A3C. Um, so I, I, I don't, don't really care if it's the 24th of October or, you know, as late as the 1st or 2nd of November. Like, it, it pushed in pretty late this year. Everything was slid, seemed like a week further later in the year. So those times of the year, you know, the bucks are... The bucks are, uh, you know, if it's cold, they're up on their, up on their feet feeding, and and they those those older bucks, you got to remember, they spend a lot of time on their butt. Um, you know, it's nothing to to put a buck to bed. You may bed at seven thirty in the morning. You can sit on him all day, and he won't even come out from behind the tree. He'll get up and stretch a little bit, but lots of times you can't get a shot at that, and he won't come out until literally dark. That's what I see on those old, you know, those older, mature, even those four- and five-year-old bucks do that. They just don't like to move around a lot in the daytime. They know when they get hard-horned that, you know, things are different. Life is different for them, so they tend to spend a lot of time tucked in those juniper trees and those oak trees, and, and they don't come out. Makes sense. Uh, you guys had success on the 3C late elk hunt. Um, and, and over the years, have shot some pretty good bulls. Where, where do you see that hunt uh, trending up, down, or about the same as it's been? Uh, you know, as long as they, they maintain the tags at where they're at, I think it's just going to hold status, status quo. Um, it's a tough hunt. You know, you've heard us say that before. Quality, you know, we, we put these cow hunts in there prior to the hunt and then you know the deer hunters come in and those bulls they just they don't tolerate a lot of a lot of banging going on around them plus four wheelers and people walking and things like that and those bulls they know when it's time to pack up and leave 3c you know and they 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 head south to the paradise down there um known as the fort apache indian reservation and we <laughs> you know we we do have some resident bulls and and, um, you know, we may have to watch the reservation in some areas. You know, the bulls will come up during the night and, and feed back during the day. Um, but, you know, I think the quality is going to just, just kind of hold where it's at. Um, I think we have some advantages just because we know, you know, we have some pockets and we, we know what those bulls do and where they go. And we just managed to, you know, kill some decent six points. We killed three pretty good, good bulls out of there. My daughter-in-law, Janae, killed a good six point and, and we had a couple of clients that killed, killed uh, you know, mature bulls in Unit 3. So, you know, we had some good success there this year. But it's not a, you know, it's not a 340, 350 type unit on a late hunt for sure. How much broken did you see this year? Oh, <laughs> it, it was terrible. 3C was, was terrible. I think Daniel really struggled in 23 with a lot of broken bulls this year. Unit 1. I mean, if you're looking in a group of 
eight or ten bulls, you might find one that's not broke. <laughs> um, we managed to find a fairly heavy bull. Saw him a couple. Saw him the weekend before, and then saw him again the night before the hunt on unit one that wasn't broke. Um, one bull this year with a broken main beam that we we ended up harvesting, but he was a good big mature bull that we had a little history with. But you know, just just bulls this year seem to be broken up a lot more. I'll, I I will add. Um, I kind of learned a little bit this year how how often these bulls will break even after the rut. Um, I saw bulls breaking well into the third week of October down here in some of these this lower country. You know, you get you get a group of bulls that all have to water out of the same tank, and they'd get there at night. And, well, I saw a couple of them, you know, get tangled up and really get to to wanting to fight. They weren't just they weren't just tinkling horns and and playing around, they were really getting after it to to show who was the boss. But we saw a lot of fresh breaks. Um, Janae's bull had a fresh break on it, and then the the big bull that that we killed on Sunday of the the hunt had a had a main beam that was broke off behind his fourth that couldn't have been more than two or three weeks. I mean, it's still just white. So uh, they're breaking them well into the well into the fall, you know, if they survive the rut. But just a lot a lot of broken bulls this year. In both units one and three. How much of that do you think is just pecking order, you know, bulls fighting with each other, and how much of it is, you know, second, third cycle of those cows and just um, severe competition for trying to get any of that last-minute breeding in? That, you know, I think it's it's about 50-50 there. You know, you'll, uh, you'll have a bull that'll hang out with uh, the cows right to the bitter end, you know, third week of October, even into that archery hunt. And, um, you know, there might be a cow that's smelling a little bit, and and those bulls will lock up and really get after it. But there is some pecking order. Um, there was no cows in this area that I watched these multiple bulls fight. And, uh, you know, there's there's some pecking order that's taking place, too, when you see those, those fresh breaks so late in the year. One bull was fully intact the 15th of October, he wasn't with cows, and then uh, now two weeks before season, a little before Thanksgiving, I find him again, and he's missing from his third back. So he <laughs> broke his entire main beam off between October 15th and November 15th. And there's no, there wasn't any cows down there. There was about 15 mm-hmm. bulls was all. So that was kind of, kind of we saw that a little bit more. There's always a lot of broken bulls when you just see them, you know, 15 or 20 bulls in an area. They tend to quite often be broken up, but this year was definitely worse than other years. I want to shift a little bit here. Um, you had a Gould's tag, and those Arizona Gould's tags are so sought after. Uh, I believe you and your son had a Gould's tag last year, and um, how was that? Well, it took, uh, first of all, I'll throw out, it took me 17 bonus points to finally draw it, and it took Devin 16. We drew on wow. separate applications in the same unit, which was unit 33. Um, you know, I was I was just thrilled and couldn't couldn't wait to get down there in the unit. And the the first scouting trip, um, you know, we we heard five or six birds. I was expecting to go down there and just hear 20 or 30 or 40 of them. Um, you know, you know, you know as well as anybody does. Those ghouls are just if you could hunt ghouls every year. <laughs> It'd just be one of the biggest blessings. Those birds are just—they're beautiful. They react to any noise you make. They're—you know—they're aggressive to the call. 
They'll come strutting right up in the middle of you and sit in your lap. Um, just you know, phenomenal hunts. Um, I killed up top, you know, up around the ski run Mount Linton area. I know you're familiar with that area. There was probably only five or five or six birds up there. Um, but just, you know, if you're ghouls hunting, consider yourself blessed and, and lucky. Um, I would have liked to have heard and, you know, had a few more choices on birds up there. Um, Devin's hunt, we ended up going down closer to the desert floor, and uh, he killed just a phenomenal giant bird. You know, one of those four or five-year-olds, giants, monarchs, has the head the size of a softball and killed it with his bow. Too. So that's awesome. Um, just yeah, yeah it was, I think it's, it's just one a of great time. It is a great time. You know, I I know when I had some of the raffle hunting option hunters down there, and you know they had very limited tags and there were, you know, birds all over. Everywhere you'd go there in 33, there was birds and they've been slowly increasing the tags, which is good. You know, we need to harvest those birds and, and give people a chance to, to, to get the ghouls. But one thing people need to understand, if you are ghouls turkey hunting, and Mike, you can weigh in because you've hunted several units down there, is most of those birds are up on those big, um, you know, thick mountains up where it's pretty steep. And, Everywhere you find a bird, if you, or everywhere there's a flat spot, uh, you'll find birds. One of the challenges is in most of the forests, you know, those Sky Island mountain chains, where there's a flat spot, there's a campground. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> it seems like a lot of the birds are right literally in the campground. Like, literally, some guy is from, you know, visiting from, you know, Ohio, and he's got his family there, and they're, you know, cooking eggs for morning, and there's a tom 15 yards away strutting right by his tent. Um, <laughs> and, and there's not tons of units where you just have more of that natural landscape to just go hunt. You, you know, you got dogs barking in the background, and I'm curious your, your thoughts. I mean, there are places that you can get away, but know that on most of those you know, Mount Graham, Mount Lemon, you know, you pick any of those units, there's a lot of people interaction with them as well. So it's not quite that, you know, you know, wilderness experience, so to speak, for lack of a better term. You are exactly right. If, if, if anybody has any concerns with that, you know, you better definitely do your homework because you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it was nothing for us to have to wait for campers to leave to even scout birds or anything like that. I went up during the middle of the week. I remember talking to you and Dar before I planned my hunt, and I just decided I wasn't going to go Friday and Saturday. That's when the when um, you know the weather's starting to warm up and the snow's melted and campers are everywhere. Um, I waited till Monday to go. That is you know that is one option, and I and I ran into a few people, but not anywhere near. Um, what you yeah, could have if I had been on the weekend. Um, but there are units out there. I've been in 29. You know, they, you can get off in some of that stuff and, and run into some birds in 29 that, uh, that you know, you're away from the private and you're most likely not going to run into a bunch of people. You know, you may have to walk right. in a half a mile or so. Um, but 30, you know, we hunted 31, 29, 33. Um, but you are correct. Do your homework if, because that that kind of ruins it for some people. You know, yeah. you, you get you get your hopes up, and it's going to be a typical working a bird off the roost, and he comes in and struts and 
well, about time it gets light, you got three three kids sticking their head out of a tent 50 yards away, and you're you're trying to regroup to figure out what you're going to do. So, do your homework on those units and and understand, you know, where the campgrounds are and what your interaction is going to be with people and dogs and campers and hikers and bikers. Yeah, I mean, I've been on birds before where you're working a bird and he's gobbling, and then all of a sudden, literally like 200 yards away, you know, they're clanking their trailer doors or something or all of a sudden a dog starts barking and the bird's just gobbling his brains out to every sound and it's like man this is kind of i thought he was gobbling to my 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 turkey calling he's gobbling to that dog barking yeah yep if you want solitude and all that go to mexico huh that's right man that's you right i'm, get I'm away certainly from the spoiled people certainly spoiled with my ghoul hunts down there that is the ultimate experience i think um Oh, yeah. Good plug, Mike. You teed that one up for me perfectly. I, I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, Mike, it's been awesome having you on the podcast. Uh, you're always just a great wealth of knowledge and um, really appreciate uh, your friendship over the years. And, um, yeah, love having you on. Love having Daniel on. You guys are solid guys. You run a great operation there at Burnt Timber Outfitters. Um, encourage guys to check these guys out, Burnt Timber Outfitters, I believe, .com. And, um, Mike, uh, you're also on Instagram. Uh, what's your Instagram handle? Do you know? Mikey, that's with two E's, M-I-K-E-E -E underscore B-T-O is my so uh, guys, Instagram. If you guys want to get a hold of, of Mike, uh, find him on Instagram. Check out the Burnt Timber uh outfitters website and uh yeah buddy just appreciate your friendship for many years and appreciate the professionalism that you guys have and the love you have for the outdoors and such good family men and it's great seeing you hunting with your kids and grandkids and um grandkids are great huh no they're incredible i'll have two <laughs> hunters here after next year and then, right. but then i run into a bunch of girls so i'll have to be like franco and figure out how i'm going to get those girls to to get out, get out a little there. bit, but yeah, it is great. I'm sure you'll figure it out. Buddy, God bless you. Thanks for spending time with us. Thank you, Jay, for having me. All right, buddy.